After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awud, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, may Allah be his helper, stated, Some time ago, I mentioned some incidents of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, during the Battle of Badr, which related to the battle itself. Today, I will present some details and events that relate to this very Battle of Badr. They have been recorded in history, and it is important to know of them as well. As mentioned in previous Friday sermons, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stayed on the battlefield of Badr for three days. On the third day, he ordered to tighten the saddles of their riding animals, and from the battlefield of Badr, he sent off Hazrat Abdullah bin Rawaha, may Allah be pleased with him, and Hazrat Zaid bin Haritha, May Allah be pleased with him, towards Medina with the glad tidings of victory at Badr. Following this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, commenced his return to Medina as well. Alongside this victorious caravan were 70 prisoners from the disbelievers of the Quraysh. In books of history, it is recorded that two of these prisoners were killed on the way due to their war crimes, which was in line with the customs of the time. One of them was Nadr bin Harith, and the other was Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt. However, not every historian agrees with this event. Alaba ibn Ishaq says that when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, reached Safra on his return from Badr, Nadar bin Harith was killed by the Ali, may Allah be pleased with him. In Sirah al Halabiyya, it is mentioned that Nadar was in a state of imprisonment when he said to his companion, By God, Muhammad is about to kill me because he looked at me in a way that reflected death. His companion said to Nadr, By God, this is merely due to his awe. In other words, you have only experienced this due to his being overawed by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Upon this, Nadr said to Mus'ab bin Umair, O Mus'ab, you are closer related to this individual than me. Hence, speak to your companion to make me one of the prisoners. By God, he is going to kill me. Mus'ab replied, You used to say such and such things about the Book of God. You used to say this and that about the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And you used to cause the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, harm and distress. Hence, these things of the past are attached to you. 
And if you are going to be killed, then it will be for these crimes. In another narration, it is said that the sister of Nadr bin Harith, Qutayla bin Tiharith, said some couplets on the death of her brother. According to some, these were said by his daughter. And later she accepted Islam. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came to know of these couplets, he wept profusely, so much so that his beard was filled with tears. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then said, If these couplets had reached me prior to this, i.e. the killing of Nadr bin Harith, I would have been kind to him and forgiven him. However, some historians reject the narration of these verses of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, weeping upon hearing them. Some historians reject the entire incident. Nevertheless, Allah the Almighty knows best what is correct. If this incident truly took place due to the kind-heartedness of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then this expression of his sorrow could very likely have happened. He was very kind-hearted and his heart was filled with mercy. Similarly, there is another narration with regards to Nadar bin Harith that he was not killed, as I have just mentioned. Rather, he remained alive and participated in the Battle of Hunayn alongside the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And the Holy Prophet granted him 100 camels out of compassion. The mention we find in history of the second killing on the return from the battlefield of Badr is that of Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt. He was killed on the way to Medina at Irkud Dabiha. Hazrat Asim bin Thabit Ansari killed Uqba and according to another narration, Hazrat Ali killed him. One author writes, Nadar bin Harith and Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt were those who ignited a war against Islam and were the ringleaders of inflicting heaps of difficulties and harm on the Muslims. For this reason, they received this punishment. Nevertheless, the summary of both of these two being killed is that with regards to both of them, it cannot be said conclusively whether both prisoners were killed on the way or not. The reason for this is that there are some narrations that clearly state that Uqba bin Mu'ayt was killed on the battlefield of Badr. With regards to Nadr bin Harith, however, both narrations can be found of him being killed as well as those of him not being killed and remaining alive and accepting Islam on the occasion of the Battle of Hunayn. However, these narrations are considered somewhat weak. With regards to the killing of these two captives of Badr, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib, may Allah be pleased with him, says, Among the chieftains of the Quraysh who are recorded to have been taken captive, some historians have mentioned the name of Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt, and it is written that by the order of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he was later killed in captivity. However, this is not correct. Narrations of a hadith and history very clearly mention that Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt was killed in the field of battle. This happened during the battle and he was not held captive and was among those chieftains of Makkah whose corpses were buried in a pit. Albeit, the execution of Nadar bin Harith is evident from many narrations. The reason for his execution was that he was among those people who were directly responsible for the death of those innocent Muslims who had been martyred at the hands of the Quraysh in Makkah. Furthermore, it is most probable that Nadar bin Harith was among those who had brutally martyred Harith bin Abi Hala, the stepson of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in the early period of Islam. However, it is definite that except for Nadar, no other prisoner was executed, nor was it a practice to execute prisoners merely due to their being an enemy or fighting on behalf of the opposing side. 
Therefore, later on, a specific injunction was revealed in the Holy Qur'an with regards to this as well. Moreover, it should also be remembered that although many narrations have recorded the execution of Nadr bin Harith, there are also certain narrations which prove that he was not executed. Rather, he remained alive after Badr for a period of time and finally became a Muslim and joined the servants of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, at the occasion of the Ghazwa of Hunayn. However, these latter narrations have generally been deemed weak in comparison to the ones first mentioned. Wallahu alam, and Allah knows best. In any case, if there was any individual who was executed from among the prisoners, it was Nadar bin Harith who was executed as an act of retribution. In this respect, it is also narrated that after his execution, when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, heard the painful couplets of his sister, he said, Had these couplets reached me earlier, I would have forgiven Nadar. In any case, except for Nadr, no other prisoner was executed. This is the conclusion Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib, may Allah be pleased with him, came to from the books of history. During the Battle of Badr, 70 disbelievers were killed at the hands of the Muslims, including the most prominent chieftains of the polytheists, and 70 were taken into captivity by the Muslims. In relation to the number of captives, there are also records or narrations of there being 49 or 74. However, the most accepted and correct number of disbelievers held captive is 70. Various books of history mention there being 70. There is a narration of Sahih al-Bukhari, which mentions that on the day of Badr, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his companions caused harm to 140 disbelievers i.e. 70 were held captive and 70 were slain. Concerning the polytheist captives, i.e. the ones among them who accepted Islam after the Battle of Badr, it is written that the companions would treat them in a very good manner, in line with the instructions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Among those captives were some fortunate ones who were impressed by the Islamic teachings and lofty example of the companions and became Muslims. They have also listed some of their names in detail, such as Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib, Wakil bin Abi Talib, Nawfal bin Harith, Abu Al-As bin Rabi', Abu Aziz, whose name was Durara bin Umair Abdari, Sa'ib bin Abi Huwaysh, Khalid bin Hisham Makhzumi, Abdullah bin Abi Saib, Muttalib bin Hantab, Abu Ida Sahmi, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Khalaf Jumhi, Wahab bin Umair Jumhi, Suhail bin Amr Amiri, Abdullah bin Zama, who was the brother of Ummul Mu'mineen Sauda bin Zama, Qais bin Saib, Mistas, who was a slave of Umayyah bin Khalaf and Sa'ib bin Ubaid. These all paid off their ransom on the day of the Battle of Badr and accepted Islam. There is a link between the Battle of Badr and the victory of the Byzantine Empire. Regarding the Byzantine Empire, there is a prophecy of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And as I mentioned, this is connected to the Battle of Badr as well. It is therefore appropriate to now mention this. Surah Ar-Rum was revealed in the fifth year of prophethood, in which there is the prophecy of the victory of the Byzantine Empire, or the Roman Empire. I shall mention the details of this when Allah Almighty revealed the first verses of Surah Ar-Rum, Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq, may Allah be pleased with him, announced as he was reciting these verses in the outskirts of Makkah, Alif Lam Mim, Ghulibat Ar-Rum, Fi Adna Al-Ardi, Wahum Min Ba'di Ghalabihim Sayaghlibun, Fi Bid'i Sinin. That is, 
the Romans have been defeated in the land nearby, and they, after their defeat, will be victorious between three to nine years. The polytheists of Mecca, it was in Mecca that these verses were revealed, wished for the Persians to overcome the Romans or the Byzantines because they were idolaters like them. The Persians or Iranians were idolaters and fire worshippers and the people of Mecca were also idolaters. They desired for the Persians to be victorious whereas the Muslims desired for the Romans to defeat the Persians. As they were the people of the book, they mentioned this to Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, and he in turn mentioned this to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who stated, they shall surely be victorious, i.e. the Romans. Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, told this to the idolaters. So they said, set a time between us, i.e. place a wager. If we are victorious, then this and that will happen. And if you are victorious, then this and that will happen in your favour. They set a period of five years. It was a six-year period according to another narration. It is written in Sharh Sunan At-Tirmidhi, Tuhfatul Ahwazi, that the Muslims rejoiced on the day that the Romans defeated the Persians. And they learnt of this on the day of the Battle of Badr, when alongside this, they were given the glad tidings of support against the idolaters at Badr by Gabriel, peace be upon him. This is when Gabriel, peace be upon him, revealed the support for them against the idolaters alongside the news of that victory. Hence, this is the link between that and the Battle of Badr. The same day that they were victorious in the Battle of Badr, they were given the glad tidings of the victory of the Romans. There is a narration of Sahih al-Bukhari, and in its commentary, Allama Badr al-Din Aini writes, with regard to the prophecy of the victory of the Romans, when the Romans fought the Persians, the Muslims desired for the Romans to defeat the Persians, and they had support for them, seeing as they were the people of the book. The Muslims had compassion for the Romans, as they were the people of the book. Whereas the disbelievers of the Quraysh longed for the Persians to be victorious, for they were magians or fire worshippers, and the disbelievers of Makkah were also idol worshippers. Thus, when the wager was placed between Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, and Abu Jahl on this matter, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated, the word bid'un has been used and it signifies up to nine or seven. So increase the period. He therefore did so accordingly. In the end, the Romans were victorious and Allah the Almighty stated, Alif Lam Mim, غُلِبَتِ الرُّوم فِي أَدْنَ الْأَرْضِ وَهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ غَلَبِهِمْ سَيَغْلِبُونَ فِي بِدْعِ سِنِينَ the translation is Alif Lam Mim. I am Allah the All Knowing. The Romans have been defeated in the land nearby, and they, after their defeat, will be victorious. Between three to nine years, Allah's is the command before and after that, and on that day the believers will rejoice with the help of Allah. Shabi relates that at that time placing wages was permissible. Among the incidents foretold by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the prophecy about the fall of the Roman Empire was exceptionally clear and mighty. The Roman and Persian empires both bordered Arabia. And in that era, the king of Tehran was Khosrows, while the Roman Empire was Heraclius. Both these empires were engaged in warfare for quite some time. In 614 Anno Domini, or five years after prophethood, 
a war of tremendous bloodshed ensued between the two empires. Although the two nations had not accepted Islam, the Romans were followers of Prophet Jesus and consequently among the people of the book, while the Persians held similar views to that of the Meccan polytheists. Thus certainly the Muslims are sympathetic towards the Roman Christians, while the Meccan polytheists sided with the Persians. Owing to this, both the Muslims and the disbelievers of the Quraysh were eagerly awaiting the war's outcome. Both nations' borders met at the shores of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. On the eastern front, the Roman Empire had spread throughout Asia Minor, Iraq, Syria, Palestine and Egypt. The Persians attacked on two fronts. From one side, they advanced from the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and approached Syria. And from the direction of Asia Minor, they travelled from Azerbaijan to modern-day Anatolia via Armenia. From both these fronts, the Persians continued to push the Romans back until they were forced into the sea. From the Syrian front, the Persians snatched city after city from the Romans in that holy land. In 614 AD, the Persians seized control of Palestine and the holy cities of Jerusalem. Churches were demolished. Religious monuments were desecrated. And the Roman Emperor's palace was decorated with 30,000 severed heads of the dead. People were killed and their severed heads were placed in the palace. The series of victories for the Persians continued to 616 AD when they had conquered all of the Nile Valley or in other words the Kingdom of Egypt and finally reached the shores of Alexandria. From the other front the Persians wreaked havoc throughout Asia Minor until they reached the walls of Constantinople at the shores of the Bosphorus Strait the victorious armies of Persia set up their encampment before the headquarters of the Roman Emperor. Now, instead of the Romans, the Persians occupied the vast territories of Iraq, Syria, Palestine, Egypt and Asia Minor. Fire temples were constructed everywhere and in place of Jesus, people were forced to worship fire and the sun. Upon witnessing the ruin of the Roman Empire, Pockets of rebellion began to arise in the vast kingdom. There were insurrections even in Africa. Many European nations around Constantinople also became engulfed in killing and chaos. In short, the Roman Empire was falling apart. It was evident that due to the unfavourable outcome of the war, the Muslims were surely distressed as opposed to the disbelievers who rejoiced. They taunted the Muslims saying, just as our brothers were victorious, we would also be victorious over you if you stand against us. The disbelievers said that they would prevail over the Muslims as the outcome of the war suggested. The Romans at the time were in a very pitiful state, as we have observed. They had lost every inch of their territories in the east. Their treasuries were empty. Their armies were scattered and their land was overcome by rebellion. Heraclius, the Roman Emperor, was completely carefree, remiss and delusional. Once a great ruler was reduced to incompetence, the victorious Persian commander came to the gates of Constantinople and presented the following conditions for the Romans to comply. The Romans were required to surrender 1,000 talents of gold, 1,000 talents of silver. A talent is an ancient Greek unit of measurement equivalent to 23 kilograms today. One thousand rolls of silk, one thousand horses and one thousand virgin girls to the Persians. The Romans were in such a sorry state that they accepted these humiliating demands. Upon this, a Roman messenger went to the Persian Emperor's court to reconcile the matter. And the arrogant Khosros replied, saying, I do not need these things. Surely you have agreed to these conditions. However, I desire for Heraclius to be chained up and brought beneath my throne. He wanted the Roman Emperor to be brought beneath his throne. I will not reconcile between us until the Roman Emperor abandons his crucified God and bows before the Son in worship. 
he must turn away from Christianity. Thus, the writer wrote that these were the circumstances of the battlefield, and far away from this conflict, a prince of peace appeared on a lonely mountain in a dry and desolate land. He made a prophecy completely opposite of the world's events, which has been mentioned in the Holy Quran in the verses I will now recite. I have outlined these details to prove the true grandeur of this prophecy. As I recited earlier as well, this prophecy was Alif la mim, Ghulibat al rum, Fi adna al ardi wa hum min baadi ghalabihim sayaghribun, Fi bid'i sinina, Lillahi al amru min qablu wa min baadu. وَيَوْمَئِذٍ يَفْرَحُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ بِنَصْرِ اللَّهِ يَنْصُرُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الرَّحِيمُ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ لَا يُخْلِفُ اللَّهُ وَعْدَهِ That is, I'm Allah, the All-Knowing. The Romans have been defeated in the land nearby. And they, after the defeat, will be victorious, within three to nine years. Allah's is the command before and after that. And on that day, the believers will rejoice with the help of Allah. He helps whom He pleases, and He is the mighty, the merciful. Allah has made this promise. Allah breaks not His promise. The one who wrote this prophecy states that according to events, this prophecy was far-fetched and unacceptable. The disbelievers had pledged to forfeit many of their camels should this prophecy be fulfilled. Now, the Muslims and disbelievers eagerly awaited to see the turn of events. Ultimately, in a few years, the world witnessed an unexpected development. Whilst writing about Heraclius, Edward Gibbon, renowned author and historian of the fall of the Roman Empire, states, in the first and last years of a long reign, the emperor appears to be the slave of sloth, of pleasure, or of superstition, the careless and impotent spectator of the public calamities. But the languid mists of the morning and evening are separated by the brightness of the meridian sun. In 621 CE, the Arcadius of the palace arose the Caesar of the camp i.e. this very emperor, and the honour of Rome and Heraclius was gloriously retrieved by the exploits and trophies of six adventurous campaigns. The example that he has given is of Arcadius, who was a powerful Byzantine emperor, reigning from 408 BCE up until 378 BCE. Similarly, Caesar was also an earlier general of the army. Nonetheless, when Heraclius took his remaining army and set off from Constantinople, the masses knew that the world was beholding the last army of the mighty Byzantine emperor, but the prophecy of the unlettered Arabian prophet was fulfilled word for word. At exactly the time when the Muslims defeated the Quraysh at Badr, the Byzantines gained victory over the Persians from among the eastern occupied areas. They reclaimed a city and pushed the Iranians from the banks of the Bosphorus and the Nile all the way to the banks of the Euphrates and Tigris rivers. The truthfulness of this extraordinary prophecy astounded the world. Upon seeing it fulfilled, many people of the Quraysh became Muslim. And after 1200 years, Edward Gibbon, who was not a Muslim, is perplexed by the truthfulness of this incredible prophecy and accepts its authority. He says, Sitting on the boundary of the two mighty Eastern empires, Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, pondered deeply on how to destroy both of them and at ease worked on how to implement his plan. And just when the Iranians were acquiring some decisive victories, 
he boldly made this prophecy that in a few years, victory and success of the Byzantines will rise along with their flag. At the time when this prediction is said to have been delivered, no prophecy could be more distant from its accomplishment. Since the first 12 years of Heraclius announced the approaching dissolution of the empire, the authors of Roman history have mentioned peculiar details in their explanation for this astonishing and revolutionary change in Heraclius's temperament. However, Gibbon is explaining, little did they know that far away from this brutal battle, a prophetic hand had been extended to assist the Byzantines and the greatest factor for this incredible transformation and change was this, this spiritual effect. It is written in Mustadrak and Jamia Tirmidhi. Gibbon has quoted this himself, that when the Byzantine-Persian war began, the idolaters of Makkah supported the Persians because they too were idol worshippers. The Muslims sided with the Byzantines because they were the people of the book. At the time, this prophecy was made. The Persians were crushing the Byzantines. As Abu Bakr exuberantly recounted this prophecy to all the idolaters, to which the idolaters said, to set a time frame, Abu Bakr stipulated five years. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, learned of this, he said, Bid'um means a time frame of three to nine years. Therefore, set a time limit close to ten years. In line with this understanding, this prophecy was fulfilled in the ninth year. On the occasion of the Battle of Badr, the Byzantines gained victory. Some youths or young boys ask, some even write to me, I received a letter just last week asking how they could know if Islam was the true religion and that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the true Prophet to follow. The society and environment here is affecting them and is causing them to have doubts about the truthfulness of Islam. They should accept this history and testimony of the non-Muslims. Furthermore, they should ponder over the prophecies of the Holy Qur'an about this era. Parents should read the Holy Qur'an and show their children how it is proof of the truthfulness of Islam. There are thousands of proofs of the truthfulness of Islam. The parents as well as the youths ought to increase their knowledge. It is not enough to simply ask a question. If one wishes to ask questions, they should also try to increase their own knowledge. Similarly, our auxiliary organizations should also try to educate them in this regard. I have been asked this question many times. Nonetheless, it was important to explain this and so I mentioned it here. I now turn back to the topic under discussion. Edward Gibbon adds, The Battle of Badr took place in the first year after the migration to Medina and in the 14th year of the Prophet's mission. Nine years prior to this was the fifth year of the prophetic mission. This puts the time of the prophecy as the fifth year of the prophetic mission and it was fulfilled in the 14th year or the first year of the migration. Some people claim that this prophecy was fulfilled in the year the Treaty of Hudaybiyah took place, i.e. in the sixth year after migration. However, this is incorrect. Perhaps they have erred from the fact that in Sahih al-Bukhari, etc., it is written that the envoys of the Prophet, peace be upon him, went to deliver the message of Islam to the Byzantine Emperor. At the time, he was in the Levant as a form of gratitude for this victory. It seems that the envoys left after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. It is conceivable that this is the reason why people have mistaken this to be the time of the Byzantine victory. However, this is not the case and it is plainly evident that this was not the time of the victory, rather it was a time of the celebration of this victory. The emperor had gone there to celebrate this victory. Nonetheless, when we compare the details, it is proven that in 609 CE, the Holy Prophet was commissioned as a prophet. In 610 CE, tensions between the Byzantines and the Persians commence. 613 CE, war is declared. 614 CE, the Byzantines start to lose ground. 616 CE, the Byzantines suffer defeat. 
622 CE, the Byzantines begin retaliation. And 623 CE, the Byzantine victory begins. 625 CE, the Byzantines gain victory. Keeping this timeline in view, the beauty of this prophecy is that if one takes into account the beginning of the Byzantine defeat to the beginning of the Byzantine victory, this totals nine years. And if one counts from when the Byzantines were defeated up to the beginning of the Byzantine victory, then this also equals nine years. After gaining victory, Heraclius returned to his former ways of indolence and seeking pleasures. It seems as if it was only for the purpose of fulfilling this prophecy that for a period of just a few years, the divine power influenced his heart and mind and gave him new strength. However, after his victory, his life of seeking pleasures and slothfulness caused him to remain heedless and negligent. These are the details written by Allama Shibli Nu'mani in his works on the history of early Islam. With regards to the differing opinions on the dates for the victory of the Roman Empire, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib, may Allah be pleased with him, has reconciled this by stating that the narrations which state that the victory of the Roman Empire took place in the era of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah are not contradictory because in fact the victory of the Roman Empire spans from the Battle of Badr to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. In relation to this, as a Muslim, may Allah be pleased with him, states, While the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, were still in Mecca, news arrived that the Persians had vanquished the Romans in battle. This occasioned great rejoicing among the Meccans, for the Persians were idolaters just as they were. The Meccans took the victory of the Persians as a good omen, indicating their own ultimate triumph over the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. On this occasion, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, received the revelation, Alif Lam Mim, غُلِبَتِ الرُّومِ فِي أَدْنَ الْأَرْضِ وَهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ غَلَبِهِمْ سَيَغْلِبُونَ فِي بِدْعِ السِّنِينَ That the Romans had been vanquished in the neighbouring land of Syria. But do not consider this to be the final outcome. Within nine years of their defeat, the Romans would again be victorious. When this revelation was announced among the Meccans, they laughed and jeered at the Muslims. Some of them made a wager of a hundred camels with Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him. They claimed that if even after such a defeat, the Byzantines were to gain any success, they would give him a hundred camels. However, if this did not happen, then he would have to give them a hundred camels. Events indicated that there was very little chance of the Romans defeating the Persians, as their defeat in Syria was followed by further victories of the Persians and the Roman army was pushed back by stages to the shores of the Sea of Marmara. Constantinople was cut off from its eastern dominions, and the Roman Empire was reduced to the size of a small state. The word of God was, however, bound to be fulfilled, and was fulfilled. In their state of utter despondency, the Roman Emperor himself set out from Constantinople along with his troops and met on the shores of Asia for a decisive battle. The Romans, though smaller in number and not so well equipped as the Persians, won a complete victory as prophesied by the words of the Holy Quran. And the Persians were put to flight. They were forced to retreat into Persia, not finding any respite anywhere, and the Romans reoccupied the Asiatic and African possessions. The Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, when Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq, may Allah be pleased with him, placed a bet with Abu Jahl about the prophecy of the Holy Quran. Alif Lam Mim Ghulibat Rum Fi Adna Al Ardi Wahum Mim Baad Ghalabihim Sayyaglibun Fi Bidri Sinin. A period of three years was stipulated. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came to know of this, upon pondering over the prophecy and owing to his foresight, he asked as Abu Bakr Siddiq, may Allah be pleased with him, to make an amendment to the details of the bet, stating that the word Bid'i Sinin had a broader meaning and often meant up to nine years. The Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, further states, During the era of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life, the Persians were polytheists and the emperor of the Roman Empire was a Christian and believed in one God. This was also a reason for the Muslims siding with them. The Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, further states, the emperor of the Roman Empire was a Christian and believed in one God and did not believe Jesus, peace be upon him, to be the Son of God. Hence, when the status of Jesus, peace be upon him, was presented to him in light of the Holy Quran, he said, 
in my view, the status of Jesus is not any superior, even by an iota, than that which has been mentioned in the Qur'an. This testimony of his is also recorded in a hadith of Bukhari in which he states, I testify that these words are the same as those found in the Torah. His, uh, that is, Jesus' status is no greater than a prophet. It is following this that the verse of the Holy Qur'an was revealed. Alif la mim ghulibat al-rum fi adna al-ardi wa hum min ba'di ghalabihim siyaghlibun fi bid'i sinin wa yawma idhin yafrahu al-mu'minun That is, the Romans have been defeated. However, in a short time, within nine years, it will once again be victorious. The Christians, out of mischief, alleged that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had assessed the strength of the two powers and then, based on his foresight, announced this prophecy. In response, we say that Jesus, peace be upon him, would also assess among the ill as to those who had the potential of getting better and then cured them of their illness. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, is responding to the allegations by making a comparison as an example. In such a case, Jesus, peace be upon him, would not have demonstrated a single miracle. On that day, the believers will be granted two sources of joy. One of them is the victory in the Battle of Badr, and the second is the fulfillment of the prophecy regarding the victory of the Byzantines. If they allege that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had assessed the situation from before, however, the circumstances surrounding the Battle of Badr were completely different, and yet the glad tidings of this victory were mentioned alongside this, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, further states, the Holy Quran is filled with countless prophecies, such as the extraordinary prophecy regarding the Roman Emperor and Persian powers. This prophecy was made at a time when the polytheists, i.e. the Persian Empire, defeated the Roman Empire and as a result took control of some of their land. The polytheists of Mecca considered this victory of the Persians as a good omen for them. They believed that just like them, the Persians were also polytheists and therefore they too would defeat their prophet, whose Sharia, i.e. religious law, resembled that of the people of the book. It was then that God Almighty revealed this prophecy in the Holy Qur'an and declared that the Roman Empire shall ultimately become victorious. Since this prophecy was regarding the victory of the Roman Empire, hence this chapter was named as Surah Ar-Rum. Since the polytheists of Arabia took the victory of the Persian Empire as a sign of their own victory as well, God Almighty also stated in this prophecy that when the Roman Empire once again becomes victorious, the Muslims shall also gain victory over the polytheists. And so this is precisely what manifested. And the verse of the Holy Quran in relation to this is as follows. Alif la mim ghulibat al-rum. Alif la mim ghulibat al-rum. Fi adna al-arda wa hum min ba'di ghalabihim siyaghlibun. Fi bid'i sinin illahi al-amru min qablu min ba'd. Wa yawma idhin yafrahu al-mu'minun. I am Allah the All-Knowing. The Romans have been defeated in the land nearby. And they, after their defeat, will be victorious after a period of three to nine years. And on that day, the believers will rejoice. This is exactly what happened. And within the stipulated period of three to nine years, the Roman Empire once again gained victory over the Persians. On the same day, the Muslims also gained victory over the polytheists, as this was the day of the Battle of Badr, in which the followers of Islam were granted victory. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, further states, Ponder as to how astonishing and magnificent this prophecy was. This prophecy was announced at a time when the Muslims were in a state of great danger, owing to their very weak and frail condition, and had no wealth nor any power. In view of their condition, the enemy would claim that they would be destroyed very quickly. Moreover, a time period was also stipulated in this prophecy, and by stating, It is also mentioned that this prophecy had two aspects, which is that the day the Roman Empire gains victory over the Persians, the Muslims shall also be granted success and become joyous. Just as was mentioned in the prophecy, it was indeed fulfilled at the day of Badr. And just as the Roman Empire gained victory, so too did the Muslims. This series of incidents from the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, will continue God willing. I will mention the rest in the future. After the Friday prayer, I will also lead a funeral prayer in absentia which is of respected Firas Ali Abdul Wahid from the UK. According to the decree of God, he recently passed away at the age of 47. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was originally from Iraq and entered the fold of the community in 2012 when he pledged allegiance. He is survived by his wife and daughter. He had committed the Holy Quran to memory when he was a child. As he grew older, 
He developed extremist ideologies in faith, thus becoming among the extremist Muslims. He even sold his television, saying that it was haram, i.e. forbidden, to watch it. He also ripped apart all the pictures in the home, saying that those were haram as well. He himself was a good artist, however, having obtained religious knowledge from some cleric. He became completely fanatical and abstained from any type of images. But then he developed doubts as to whether he was right or even if Islam was true. He was friends with a Christian class fellow and after some time became influenced by him. Since he had been unable to dispel his doubts or find answers to his questions about Islam, he became a Christian. However, with the passage of time, he became impassioned with love for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him once again, and he reverted to Islam. He was very hardworking and studious. He obtained a degree from the University of Basra in his College of Business Administration and Economics. He had a passion for learning languages as a result of which he became fluent in English and learned French, Spanish, German and also Russian to some degree. In 2009, he moved here to the UK with his wife and it was here that Allah the Almighty bestowed him with a daughter. Upon arriving in the UK, Firas Sahib happened to come across MTA Al-Arabiya from where he started receiving the answers to his questions. Ultimately, the truthfulness of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, took root in his heart to such an extent that he would often sing the Arabic poetry written by the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, in honour of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It was during this time that he saw the fourth Caliph, may Allah have mercy on him, in a dream, delivering a sermon in a large white mosque, and light was emanating from his blessed countenance. Then he saw a beautiful youth who, like a news reporter, was speaking into a microphone and was referring to the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, with the most excellent of names and was encouraging others to follow him. Upon this, in 2012, he pledged allegiance. He came in contact with Dr. Bilal Tahir from Sheffield, through whom he sent his request to pledge allegiance. He then remained attached to him and studied the community's various books and questions and answers. Very soon he began propagating the community's views and beliefs, defending against allegations and presenting intellectual refutations in favour of the community. Yazan Rababa from Jordan writes, Brother Firas Abdul Wahid was a very good Ahmadi. He would study the community's books. He would respond to the community's opponents and apostates. He was a true defender of Islam Ahmadiyyat. People on Facebook called him Faris Ahmadiyyat, meaning a horse-riding warrior of Ahmadiyyat. My eyes well with tears as I remember him. May God Almighty grant him forgiveness. Tamim Abu Dhaqqa writes, Firas Sahib was an extraordinary researcher and was exceptionally skilled in Arabic and English translations and writings. He was an active member of the team which responded to questions on the community's website. His answers were always complete and evidence-based, which he would support with references both from within the community and elsewhere, from both the Arabic and English sources. When certain Arab apostates and rebels raised disorder, Firas Sahib was on the front lines of responding to the allegations and standing up to them. On account of his complete faith, he would fiercely defend the community and Khilafat. Dr. Ayman Oudeh says, Through his articles and writings, our deceased brother Firas Abdul Wahid was known for his vast knowledge and extraordinary intelligence. He had not been a member of this community for long, yet even in this short amount of time, he attained deep knowledge of the community's views and beliefs. With resounding answers, he would silence the opponents. A few years ago, the deceased was entrusted with the responsibility of answering questions on our website. 
which he diligently carried out until the end and worked with great passion and sincerity. On the Arabic website for questions and answers, Bisat Ahmadi, he had about 800 articles and responses to allegations and questions which continued testifying to how deeply scholarly he was and his passion for spreading the views and beliefs of the community and responding to allegations. May Allah the Almighty grant forgiveness and mercy to the deceased and elevate his station. May he protect his wife and daughter and grant them patience and forbearance. May he accept his virtuous desires for his family. May he accept his prayers. May Allah the Almighty grant the community people like him in his place. As I said, after the Friday prayer, God willing, I will offer the funeral prayer. Alhamdulillah, 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 وَمَنْ يُضْلِلُّ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَنَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَنَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ رَسُولُهُ إِبَادَ اللَّهِ رَحِمَكُمُ اللَّهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِيتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى وَيَنْهَى عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغْيِ يَعِذُكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ اذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ يَذْكُرْكُمْ وَدُوهُ يَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ وَلَذِكْرُ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرُ